I just wanted to take a moment to address the horrific death of George Floyd one week ago. I cannot adequately express my grief for what was done to him, and I want to extend my deepest sympathy to everyone who is hurting right now. If after your blood boiled, your heart was not broken into a million pieces, something's wrong. And I stand with everyone who is calling for justice against the perpetrators of this unconscionable act. And while I long for the voices of this country to be heard, I do not and cannot condone the destruction of people or property. As a result of this event and others, the topic of racism, this painful and polarizing issue, has been brought to the forefront of our lives. And I don't pretend to have the answers for the complexity of this issue or to possibly understand everyone's personal pain. Additionally, I cannot say whether or not or to what degree racism was involved in this event. It seems to me, politically speaking, people on the left tend to see racism everywhere. And people on the right tend not to see it at all. And it's not my goal to help you find some specific spot on the political spectrum. As a pastor, I have two goals. First, to show you how the gospel, the scriptures, are devastating to any notion of the belief or behavior that values one race over another. And secondly, to share with you my hope for me, my family, my church family, and society at large. So first, the gospel. God's love and value for people is unbreakingly linked to the two greatest acts of God in history creation and redemption. Genesis 1.27 says male and female were created in God's image, stamped, marked forever by God's very own personhood and nature. Acts 17.26, out of the mouth of Paul, from one man he made every nation of the human race. We are of one origin. There is no room for racial superiority. You have to deconstruct the very character and nature of God, of the Creator, to make any race inferior to another race. This is exactly what James has in mind in chapter 3 and verse 9 when he's talking about the uses of the tongue. How on one end it can do its highest bidding and bless God, and on the other end, curse people who are created in the image of God. It is James' distinct purpose to show you there's no way those two can coexist. You can't curse people that are in God's image and somehow have a whole picture of the character and the nature of God. 
can't hold God together and blast apart people with his image because they're one and the same. That's creation. But the second great act of history is redemption. The moment, it's a beautiful thought, that Christ started his earthly ministry. In Luke chapter 4, he preached a message into the synagogue to the Jews that God's love was for all races. That was his message. He cites two Old Testament passages, one from Elijah, one from Elisha, 1 Kings and 2 Kings. 1 Kings 17 is the passage where the widow, we got the entire nation of Israel starving to death because of a famine, and God chooses to heal a Phoenician woman or provide food for a Phoenician widow through Elijah. That's what Jesus tells them. And then he reminds them of Elisha's great healing of Naaman the Syrian. While all the lepers are still running around in Israel, God chooses to heal Naaman. Right from the beginning, Jesus made it clear in his first message. God does not choose people on the basis of race. Fast forward to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. A great vision before the throne of God. A song is sung by the 24 elders and others gathered there. The song goes like this. At the cost of your own blood, you have purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nations. The terms cover the range of ethnic diversity, showing that God pursued and purchased at infinite cost a people that is extraordinarily diverse. The ultimate picture in the future around the throne there is this pure wonder of a blood-bought racial diversity celebrated into all eternity. What an incredible bookend to the beginning of Jesus' ministry all the way into eternity. We will celebrate this diversity. And they're there because of grace, not because of race. The gospel of grace deals miraculously and explosively with the human heart. It's not a political advisor. It's not an ideology. It's a supernatural power with greater potential to transform a human heart than anyone can conceive of. John Piper, in his book, Bloodline, which I found extremely helpful to me, says this, If we find in our hearts a distaste for the ethnic diversity of the world, with all its many physical, linguistic, and cultural dimensions, we should fly to God for His justifying and transforming grace. Fly to God. That's the gospel's impact, briefly. And now, finally... My hope for me, my family, church family, and the world, particularly the society, the society that I interact with directly. 
I'm not looking for a political opinion or platform to plant my flag. What I want is to see the, eradic the eradication of any trace of superiority over any race in my heart or life. And to have a growing passion, growing passion to love and embrace all people, no matter what they look like, no matter what they sound like, no matter where they come from. And to oppose inequality wherever it exists in my world. And I want all the people closest to me to desire the same thing. I will stand for it in my home. We will converse about it in my home. We have at length. We will tease it out with each other in our families. I want the same for our church family. My neighborhood or anywhere that I'm involved. I am a beneficiary of an undeserved grace and have been invited into a relationship with an eternal God to participate in a radically diverse eternal family to celebrate the wonders of that for eternity all of it based on the merits of someone else nothing in me Nothing about me made that possible. The grand and universal beauty of God requires the diversity of all kinds of people to adequately glorify the greatness of His character and His attributes. I love you, Hillside. This is my heart my desire for you and for me.